Welcome to PCOS and You, a podcast where we talk about everything related to polycystic ovary syndrome or PCOS. I'm your host Nidhi Singh, founder of PCOS Club India and PCOS Coach. Now, PCOS affects about 10% of women worldwide. The world's number one killer, heart disease, affects about 6% of women. Yet, if you ask almost anyone if they know of women with heart diseases, chances are their answer will be yes. But if you ask the same person, do they know a woman with PCOS, their answer will be no. All these facts and so much more about understanding polycystic ovarian syndrome for your body, making informed choices, being at the driver's seat as a patient, and managing PCOS by using lifestyle approaches and nutrition is something that I love reading about in this book called Living PCOS Free by Dr. Neetu Bajikal and Rohini Bajikal. And on today's episode, I have Dr. Neetu herself, where we are going to talk about living PCOS free. Welcome, Dr. Neetu. Thank you, Nidhi. This is such a pleasure. I have been watching um, your account and I think you're doing wonderful work helping so many people uh, about a condition that really nobody has shown a torch on for a long time. Uh, and I think the work that has been done so far is just a drop in the ocean, but you are really contributing to it. So I'm really pleased with the work that you're doing. Thank you so much. Coming from you is definitely a pleasure. Uh, something to get, uh, to tell you about Dr. Neetu, she is a consulting gynecologist and a women's health specialist with over 35 years of clinical experience. And she provides medical and holistic care for women with variety of health concerns. She also has special interest in plant-based medication and lifestyle. And I'm very excited to talk about that on our show as well. So uh, without uh, delaying further, Dr. Neetu, uh, why don't you share your own personal journey or inspiration behind writing Living Pieces Free? And why did you choose to go plant-based? Okay, there's a lot to unpack there. But uh, in short, I um, grew up in India and went to medical school. I grew up in Kolkata and went to medical school in Pondicherry and then in Delhi to All India Institute of Medical Sciences. And very quickly, I realized that um, OBGYN was my dream speciality, and I find it just as thrilling 35 years later. Um, but over time, as when I moved to the UK about 30 years ago, I further specialized in uh, keyhole surgery and robotic surgery, but I felt something was missing from my toolkit. I was seeing people after the illness had started, but I didn't know what I was looking for. And I myself, around the age of 38, um, became menopausal, um, a condition known as premature ovarian insufficiency that I, I talk about quite a lot. Uh, mm -hmm. And for me, I had, of course, completed my family. So in that way, I was um, you know, grateful for that. But I really didn't know where to turn when it came to looking at how I could help myself, heal myself, using both Western as well as uh, you know, lifestyle measures, because I didn't know where to turn and around the similar time a year or two year or so later my younger daughter turned vegan so i thought i'll support her and many of my symptoms improved hugely but i still the scientist in me still didn't connect the dots and we had never been taught nutrition in medical school in india or in residency here so I didn't really know um, much about nutrition and lifestyle how it can impact 
all health, uh, including women's health. And so it took me about another 10 years to really work out why we don't talk enough about it and how we can actually help our health by making some small changes and really meeting the person where they are at. You know, it, one doesn't have to go 100%. One doesn't need to start running a marathon straight away. One can start taking small steps and, and, and slowly build up. And that's what I, I found was missing from how I was practicing. And so over the years, I've been really applying that to my patients uh, and I see tremendous uh, improvements. And I'd always been wanting to write a book, but uh, I was busy. I had set up a voluntary project. I go into schools, try and educate children, uh, schoolgirls about periods and contraception, as well as about uh, learning how to manage stress and you know, understanding their body better. Uh, and I didn't seem to have the time to write. And then, of course, we had uh, the pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic. And sure. I started writing a book uh, that um, was going to basically touch on lifestyle, but on all aspects of women's health. And when my daughter, Rohini, who's a nutritionist, uh, stopped me and said, uh, why are you writing, mom, a book on, uh, you know, which has got two pages on menopause, two pages on endometriosis, and another couple of pages on polycystic ovary syndrome. You are a specialist with so many decades and decades of experience. Why don't we focus on particular areas? And she said, I have polycystic ovary syndrome. It took me so many years to acknowledge that I have the condition. So why don't we write about this condition that really three out of four women and those assigned female at birth never get a diagnosis. Uh, it is so common. One in four um, women in India and in other uh, subgroups uh, have the condition. One in 10 all over the world, as you mentioned. And there's hardly any talk about it. It is so stigmatizing. Why don't we find ways of destigmatizing it and also looking at all the science? Because you have had so much of success by encouraging people to eat a plant-forward diet. Why don't we write a little bit more after doing all the groundwork and the research into it? And so that's how Living PCOS Free, which is a joint venture with my daughter. And I'm really so happy that this was our first book, a book that I've has reached so many uh, and is hopefully making women, you know, and uh, those assigned female but advocate for themselves because sometimes you can be dismissed uh, and as a result, you know, nobody comes forward. You don't have many celebrities talking about PCOS because mm -hmm. the, the symptoms that one has uh, can often um, be, um, you know, situations where people feel embarrassed to, to, to admit um, because of the way society views us, you know, as having to be, you know, completely clear skin with no hair and, you know, producing children as soon as uh, we um, are asked to, uh, you know, this narrative doesn't work for polycystic ovary syndrome. And so I wanted to really break it down. Well, I would like to congratulate you and Rohini for doing such an amazing job because uh, as somebody who has been advocating uh, for the support for PCOS, I have found very few books or fact sheets which are actually evidence-based and they are supported by the science. And, um, you know, coming to that, to the next topic around it is that, um, you know, Whoever is trying to manage PCOS, trying to reverse the symptoms, trying to work on their PCOS, especially people who have been living with it for many years, or even if it is somebody who's just diagnosed, there's so much to decode. 
uh, and especially with the social media and so much of knowledge on Google, it can be very overwhelming. So uh, I hear you, whoever is listening, uh, but, but I also love the fact that how you stated in your book that as a patient, you are in the driving seat. And many of us try to lead these conversations by being at the driver, driver's seat, doing our own research, understanding uh, you know, what this condition really means. But then, uh, Dr. Nito, you would understand and uh, you know, uh, there are some of the health practitioners who would just sort of turn you away and say that, don't come to me with all this knowledge. And you know, they would say that, you know, this is all made up stories. So how does one identify that, you know, this is something which is truth or this is no, or this is gaslighting and how does one find the best doctor? How does one as a patient lead the conversation of finding more about their PCOS, which I think has been a big challenge for the community. Yes, I think it's one of the biggest challenges uh, that is faced by women and marginalized communities. It is faced by people who live in larger bodies, people of color, uh, and you know, people who are from lower socioeconomic uh, strata. All these work are stacked against us or against you when you sit in front of a doctor. And this is because of conditioning, because of cultural norms, and I would say ne never to give up. Now, it is easier said than done because one has to be persistent, but one does have to, as, as you said, I, I always say you are in the driving seat. So try and prepare yourself. And if you, you know, nobody really knows your body better than you. And if the person who you are trying to get an answer from is not listening to you, uh, is dismissing you, telling you to come back when you want to get pregnant and uh, is not acknowledging your clinical symptoms of missed periods or acne or anxiety or depression or loss of hair, whatever the, the PCOS symptoms may be or any other gynecological conditions, heavy periods, painful periods, you know, three out of four women never get diagnosed. That is because what happens is either you had a bad experience, you've met with a healthcare professional who has not, uh, you know, acknowledged your symptoms, not treated you empathetically and actually either reassured you and said, the reason why I don't think you have this particular condition is because of A, B and C. They have to be logical. So, yes, sometimes, you know, you don't want to overdiagnose conditions, but you also don't want to misdiagnose. So it's really important that if you feel that the person is not listening to you, you do have to spend time and look around. And that is where social media and, and uh, Dr. Google can help because you can have uh, recommendations in your local area of people who are, you know, good doctors who will help uh, people. It is possible to do that. But uh, on the other hand, you know, if you are living in a remote area, thankfully now telehealth is coming in. So it is possible for people to reach out to, you know, professionals who are in the other part of the world, for example. So I would encourage, um, you know, not to just be thinking, I can't help it. This is who my doctor is and I have to put up with it because there's a lot we can do ourselves. I would first of all start off by finding out what is your wish when you go for a doctor's appointment? What are you wanting them to tell you or find out? So you've got to have some goals that you want out of any doctor's appointment because a doctor's appointment can be anywhere from 10 minutes to maximum half an hour usually. 
So in that time, you cannot be sitting and thinking, when was my last period? What is my menstrual cycle? Have I had a pap smear? Have I, uh, what is my medical history? Oh, I forgot to bring my notes. No, you have to prepare well before. In fact, if you can send all your information so your doctor knows you're serious. You are not somebody who can be just brushed aside in five or 10 minutes. You have a right to the answers. You have a right, but you have to do your homework as well. Does that make sense that you go prepared with some of the common questions that people are asked uh, and so that you're not wasting time there so that you can then say, but I really want to talk about my sleep issues or I really want to talk about my periods or I want to talk about my future fertility. I need to I want to know, can I have these tests that have been recommended by many of my friends, doctors or what I have researched? That is important if you're not getting the information back from your health professional and is, is not entertaining the diagnosis that you think you have. They should be able to tell you why they think it is not what you think it is, but they have to explain it scientifically. And if you feel that you're not having the trust, you feel you've been dismissed, I think the time would come where you have to then look for another professional. And it can take time because, as I said, you know, nobody's joining the dots. If you're seeing a therapist for your um, mental health issues, if you're seeing uh, a dermatologist for acne, if you're seeing a gynecologist for missed periods or a fertility specialist because you're not able to get pregnant or an endocrinologist for insulin resistance, nobody is then joining those dots that mm -hmm. it is polycystic ovary syndrome. And I want you to be that person to join the dots and say, doctor, I think I, I have this condition. Can you tell me whether I can have these tests to confirm it and how can you help me with medications? Why do you recommend these medications that you do recommend? And can you tell me a little bit more? Now, some doctors are not going to be able to tell you about lifestyle changes and that is where books like mine come in. Uh, but it, I also want to stress there is no reason to medication shame. So if for some reason you w need to take medications, whether it's the hormonal birth control pill, whether it is fertility medication, whether it is metformin for polycystic ovary syndrome, it may be that it is indicated for you. Maybe the acne is so bad that despite doing all the lifestyle things, that is not improving and you're not able to have a social life because you're so embarrassed about your acne, because it's painful or before because it's cystic or the excess hair growth that is not being managed with laser or with hair removal, then there are other medications that may need to be taken. So I yep. want people to know that it is not one or the other. Absolutely. Lifestyle goes hand in hand with Western medicine, but you do need to speak loud, stand in front and actually it's your body. You've got to advocate for yourself. You know, it doesn't matter if somebody's trying to um, negate your um, your symptoms or dismiss your symptoms. Absolutely. I think, Dr. Nido, you made many important, um, you know, uh, points to make a note of. And I think there are certain other challenges that I can speak about, which may come specifically uh, from an Indian setup of healthcare systems, where our doctors must be so, uh, you know, pressurized to see so n number of patients at one go. But I think uh, what you said, right, was doing your own homework, putting down points as to what you would like to discuss so that you can make use of the time efficiently. And there's another, there is another gap that I would say, which I now see um, getting better, is that lack of education or awareness about the health checkups 
uh, we see a lot of people getting to know about their PCOS when they actually go to the doctor when they want to get pregnant and they've never had a checkup before that, which is a bit unfortunate, um, whether it comes to, you know, talking about contraception or the fertility part, that's where they started seeing a doctor, but they would never see a doctor when they started their periods or their menstruation. So I think it's very important um, to sort of take charge of your health, whether it's PCOS or you don't have PCOS, uh, with the lifestyles that we are currently living in, we are more susceptible with the sedentary lifestyles, Absolutely. Uh, with Absolutely. all these lifestyles. I, I think that's why we spent the first few chapters educating because it's really important to know what constitutes a normal menstrual cycle. I'm aghast every single day. These are, mm -hmm. I have lawyers and, you know, professionals, engineers in my clinic, not realizing that you can't get pregnant, for example, if you don't ovulate regularly and they're trying for a pregnancy and they've been trying for a couple of years and they have a period once in three months, once in six months. Now, that comes from lack of knowledge about one's body. There was a survey done in London in November 2020, and one in two women did not know where their cervix was. One in four women did not know where their vagina was. One in 10 women did not know where their uterus and their ovaries and the fallopian tubes was. And I see this every day in my clinic. And these are educated women. That's because we are letting, it's not just down to the individual. It's not being taught properly in schools. There's a lot of, um, you know, you can see even in social media, you're not used, uh, able to use words uh, and you have to put an X or a star and things like mm. that. So what happens is you basically make something mysterious and also something that should not be talked about. You know, you're hiding your menstrual pads, you're calling them sanitary uh, products. There's nothing unsanitary about periods. You know, people don't understand how they should monitor and track their cycles. Every single woman who starts her period until the day she stops having her periods when she's 50, between 50 and 55, um, unless it's earlier, uh, until she reaches menopause, you need to track your cycles. You need to know how often they come, how long they last. Are you passing uh, clots? Are you uh, leaking through? Are you uh, having pain? Because all these things are not normal. So we discuss this in the book. I discuss this also on all my uh, Instagram posts, as well as on my website, you know, there's a lot of free fact sheets. But this is the issue because the schools are not teaching them. The government uh, policies are not uh, uh, up to scratch. You know, it should not be down to parents or just to the child to find out. So really, as a society, we have to do a lot more to educate uh, because, you know, it can't just be one person. You can't just blame the parents. Absolutely. Parents are often busy. They may not have the education themselves. So, of course, I want each one of your listeners to take charge and actually understand their body. But also, there is a bigger question here to be answered. Uh, and as a result, what happens? And I don't necessarily accept that just because a doctor is busy, they have the right to dismiss uh, anybody. Uh, and I have seen that. I, I'm a product of the Indian system, and I've seen that to my I've seen doctors in India, I've gone with relatives, and it really pains me that so many doctors will not allow questions and things like that. And that stems from uh, a lack, usually, even in uh, the UK where I am, when you, somebody is not willing to entertain your questions and is short with you, it's usually because they don't have the, the, that particular knowledge in that particular area, so they can't actually break it down and explain it, uh, and that's usually what happens. So you know, it is important for 
want to find uh, physicians who are able to take that time and explain to you in simple language, because that is the trick. You should be able to teach. I should be able to teach polycystic ovary syndrome to a 10 year old. Okay, if I can't explain to a 10 year old what are the egg baskets and the ovaries and how eggs are released and what is PCOS and what is meant by a hormone, I will then fail my uh, job and I should be able to teach somebody at that level. So then I can teach everybody else. Absolutely. I think that's that's super important. And 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 in the current scenario where you have. Uh, you know, so many books, the way you've written, and there are many other books as well. I think it starts from educating yourself. If you cannot find the time to learn it from your gynecologist, uh, I think there are many resources to learn. So I feel the first step is to learn about your bodies. And which brings me to the next point, which I really want to know more from you, Dr. Nito, is that uh, PCOS may mean different for everybody. So somebody's pieces could look like different. Somebody's pieces could be different in terms of symptoms. Yeah. Now you spoke about medication shaming, which I, or which we also see a lot that this pill is bad or this medication is bad. But how does uh, one sort of say, for example, somebody's not having a good experience with one medication? So. Yeah. How does one go about it to manage their PCOS? What are the things, what are the alternatives available, if I were to say, in terms of So the first thing, the in, all, every international guideline, every, almost all national guidelines, but all the international guidelines, and I always urge all your listeners and anybody with PCOS to always follow the science. Always read reliable resources. It's so, so important that you, when you do research on Google or wherever, you must look at, you know, what is the NICE guidelines? What are the Monash guidelines? What does the NHS say? What uh, does somebody who is actually an expert in the area say? That is important to know because otherwise, as you say, the information can be overwhelming. But every international guideline is very, very clear that the first line of managing polycystic ovary syndrome once it's diagnosed is by behavioral changes and lifestyle changes okay unfortunately they did not break it down enough and which is what we have done in the book to try and make people understand so i don't want somebody we know that seven to eight um, women out of ten in uh, with polycystic ovary syndrome are living in larger bodies. They are carrying excess weight. We do know that uh, some amount of weight loss can help the periods to get regular, to improve acne as well, as well as to uh, reduce excess hair growth and things like that. But telling somebody to lose weight is usually a road to nowhere, okay? Because most people have tried and failed. So it's always important. And what I tell my patients and what Rohini tells her patients is to use health goals. So what you do is you try and focus. You decide what you want. I want to have clearer skin. I want to be able to run a 5K. I want to be able to have children in the future. Whatever, you choose a health goal that you want. And actually using health goals tends to motivate people more because standing on a scale, you will see things that will fluctuate. And so that is where we know that when you eat a nutrient-dense, calorie-light way of eating, uh, eating more plants uh, really makes a difference because it not only naturally helps you to lose weight, but it also floods your body with anti-inflammatory foods that will help to reduce the inflammation that is making uh, insulin resistance worse. 
So it's really important that you actually have to change the mindset. So that's why behavioral changes are so important. You actually have to have a proper goal and then you work with the lifestyle changes. So if you're somebody who doesn't exercise, you suddenly not, if you don't do strength training, which is really good for polycystic ovary syndrome, if you don't lift weights and you suddenly go and try and lift a 50 kilogram weight, you're not going to be able to do it, right? You're going to start small. Same thing with food. You cannot suddenly start eating five bowls of dal because if you've never eaten dal at all, or if you're somebody who's been scared of fruit unnecessarily, you suddenly can't eat 10 fruits uh, in a day. What you have to do is you start, and I start with wherever my patient is at. So if my patient says, I eat, you know, don't eat any fruit most days, I'll say, which fruits do you like? And they might say grapes or bananas or papaya or uh, a mango or whatever. And I'll say, okay, can you start eating one of those every day? Oh, yes, I can. Oh, I like oranges. Okay. Then maybe in a week's time, can you start adding a couple of oranges every day? So slowly you build up rather than bombarding somebody by saying you need to eat 10 to 13 portions of fruit and veg, which we know is the gold standard for Canada and Japan. But you can't expect and you can get that with a large salad and four or five fruits. But you cannot tell somebody to start there when they are a teenager or there's somebody who's been told that, uh, you know, fruit has a lot of sugar, for example, it says. And so they don't understand that fruit is really good for polycystic ovary syndrome. Same way with vegetables, you know, if somebody is not eating uh, any vegetable at all, I say, oh, do you like cucumber? Oh, yes, I do like cucumber sticks. Okay, can you have it with some hummus? Oh, I can do that. Can you add some carrot? And slowly, oh, I like peas. And, you know, you slowly start increasing it. And that's the, the key, that you actually meet the person where they are. And I always tell, when you talk about behavioral changes, it's really important to talk to yourself with compassion. To, and we have a whole lot of affirmations in our book because of this, because we are so easily uh, hard on ourselves. We always tell ourselves we are not good enough. We are not good looking enough. We are, uh, you know, too big. We are too thin. We are too, uh, we don't have nice skin. We don't have nice hair. It is so easy. I'm not worth it. I don't deserve to be a consultant OBGYN. I'm, I've been in this position, imposter syndrome. So, it is so important to talk to yourself as if you would talk to your best friend or somebody you really love. If you would not tell that to the person that you really love, don't tell those words to yourself. Because we know that there's a lot of uh, psycho psychological uh, symptoms that uh, already are a problem in polycystic ovary syndrome, you know, whether it's OCD, whether it's binge eating disorders. And that's why telling somebody to just go away and lose weight actually makes somebody really... Um, go 10 steps back rather than, you know, a couple of steps forward. So Absolutely. behavioral changes, changing the mindset first, rather than focusing on a weight, uh, on a weighing scale is really, really key, I think, to long-term success. Because anybody can lose weight by, you know, starving yourself for some days or doing a keto or a paleo diet and, you know, avoiding good complex carbohydrates. You know, there's all these fears what is important yeah. is you first need to change your mindset. Find your why. Why do I want to do this? Why do I want to lose weight? Or why do I want to, um, you know, feel less anxious? Once you work out your why, then 
it becomes easier. Then it becomes easier to take that step to go for a walk. You know, if you have a dog, that's amazing. If you have a friend, go for a walk with a friend, start laughing, just community. The six pillars of lifestyle are really important, which is community. So having a good social network, spending time. If you're on the phone, go for a walk on the while you're talking on the phone. So you're getting your steps in. You understand? So when you come back from the walk, you're less likely to reach for a samosa or a, a cake. You will be more likely to reach for an apple. And, and when you eat better, you tend to sleep better. When you sleep better, you tend to stress less. It's like a domino effect. But it all starts with small changes. Find something that you really enjoy doing and work upwards from that. So, you know, don't attack all six pillars right away. You might say, I don't sleep well, so I'm going to have a good sleep routine. So it's just finding those little ways that actually will become a lifetime of habits. Absolutely. And I think uh, the things that you said that having the mindset and doing the behavioral changes is the first step. I completely agree with you because PCOS is not something that you can change instantly. You can't, you know, uh, reverse your symptoms instantly. It is going to be there with you for a long period of time. And it likes to have sustainable changes rather than instant diet plans and it can really affect your mental health which is also a very underspoken aspect of PCOS and you get frustrated and you get frustrated and then you give up because you know you hit a brick wall because you nobody sat down and explained to you what is the best way moving forward for yourself absolutely and and uh, speaking of that I, I, I think we also spoke about the medications that we were saying and I like the uh, I like how you put it in your book that it's important to make informed choices yeah. um, and, and understanding what, even if you are prescribed any medication um, and you are suggested that this is best for you, learn about it uh, and why it is needed. Because unfortunately, Dr. Neetu, we also have a lot of people who are just uh, given these medication at a drop of a hat uh, and and they're not, they don't even know that they are on a hormone therapy. And which right. is something, if you look at the international PCOS guidelines, there is a guideline which says that before prescribing, you have to run a few tests as well, looking at, you of know, course. clotting. And, you cannot and, just and, prescribe medications without do it, taking a thorough medical history. That is why I think it's so important. If somebody's just giving you a medication, it might be the right thing, Okay. The birth control pill, which is one of the most commonly prescribed drugs, is often the right thing for a particular condition. But if you don't know why you're taking it, if you don't understand that, you know, how it's going to help your painful periods or how it is going to help your heavy periods or how it's going to help your PCOS, you're first of all not going to take it regularly. You're going to be susceptible to listening to um, information that is not scientific. So what has happened is the health professional has missed a really important opportunity to explain, first of all, you know, they should be talking about guidelines, uh, about, you know, lifestyle and behavioral changes. But sadly, that often doesn't happen. But even if you're being given those medications, they're not being told why the ins and outs, what to expect, what happens in the first month, what can they feel? Those are things that are important because you know, if you don't know, you're usually not going to continue taking any medication and you're going to say it didn't work for you and you'll miss out on something that may actually have given you a much better quality of life. Of course, Absolutely. you know, medications are not for everybody 
and it shouldn't be for everybody, but it also shouldn't be denied. And I think it's the main reason is nobody is explaining to the, the person who's yeah. going to prescribe this drug, whether it is for diabetes, whether it is yeah. for PCOS, it doesn't matter. And it, it is really on the, on the health professional to explain. But I would say since we are talking to your listeners, it's also important for you to have a look and see why am I taking this? What is it going to help yeah. me with? You know, do I need to be on it? And that's the important thing. Yes, if your periods are coming every four months, every six months uh, without any uh, medication, that can be dangerous. That makes you increase risk of having womb cancer. So is that why they're prescribing it? But have they also talked to you about lifestyle changes? If not, you need to find a way and find somebody who will guide you through lifestyle changes if you don't want to take the medication. And even if you do take the medication, that does not mean that you don't make those changes as well. So, you know, lifestyle has to run throughout whether medications are prescribed or not. But I do know that often, and that is all over the world, doctors will sadly often prescribe medication because they feel, oh, the patient won't understand. You know, we have to credit patients do understand. You know, patients are intelligent. They are invested in their health. It's just that historically we've been told, don't bother. This is what I recommend. I am the expert. No, it's your body. You do need to find out why you're being given a medication and whether it is something that you want to take you know choices are important absolutely and and here is where uh, we often talk about is having a relationship uh, trust with trust and honesty have that relationship with your doctor because um, you will have to see him or her for many years to come and and they know your history and they would know and they would be as invested as you as you would be because we see a lot of people and it's very important here to understand that um, there are phases of healing and recovering from your PCOS. Maybe this medication is very, very important for you, as Dr. Neetu said, because you not had a period for a really long time. But does this mean that you will have to take it for every exactly? Year? Most medications don't need to be taken all, all the time, yeah. you know, especially yeah. something like the hormonal um, uh, pill doesn't need to be taken all the time. It might be a stepping stone, you know, while you're trying to get your lifestyle Absolutely. into order. Uh, you might need uh, effective contraception. There are so many aspects to be discussed. Um, but I think, as I said, we miss a big opportunity uh, when, as a health professional, we don't spend that time and explain why this is being prescribed. Yes, it may be the right thing for that particular person, but if you haven't explained it, the chances are that person will either go to another doctor or will actually never take that medication. You know, a third of people never take their medications that are they're prescribed. And that is that is statistics all over. Absolutely. I completely, completely agree. And and uh, I would say find find a doctor who uh, who is ready to spend time with you. And we yeah. do have a lot of people who come to us to find recommendations uh, in different countries and different cities. So do let us know if you need any recommendations, but uh, very valid points and very, very important points uh, made by Dr. Nitu to make note of. So thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. Uh, I think Dr. Nitu, we, we covered most of the points that we wanted to discuss today, but there is one important uh, point that I'd like to discuss, and you spoke about it briefly in the conversation earlier about POI. Now, um, we know that PCOS doesn't have a cure as of now when we, you know, sort of reduce our symptoms. We don't have a guarantee they'll come back or not. There is 
lot of things to sort of get to know. Now, as we age, as we grow older, uh, our pieces might, you know, change its form or the symptoms may affect us differently. So, uh, and, and we see a lot of people also coming to us. And there was one of this question uh, as well today on our, on our Instagram page for you is that, is premature ovarian insufficiency or uh, ovarian failure connected to PCOS? Um, and something a little more, if you can explain about yeah. POI. So POI, as it is known as now, premature ovarian insufficiency, used to be known as premature menopause or premature ovarian failure. But actually, there is no failure on our part. It's just the ovaries that, are, you know, you're born with a number of eggs. You have about a million uh, by the time um, you're born. Uh, and that's the maximum number of eggs. Actually, around 20 weeks, you have even doubled that number. And then over time, every month, you know, thousands of eggs just die naturally called atresia and one egg gets released. And by the time the egg number of eggs in the ovaries reach a critical level, so around thousand. So you can imagine from a million, it's gone right down to a thousand. That's when periods completely stop. And that is known as menopause. And the average age of menopause all over the world tends to be between 45 and 55. And, you know, is characterized by women having hot flashes and, you know, the periods completely stop for over a year. And that's known as menopause. And there are about 34 different symptoms. But when the ovaries run out of eggs at an earlier age, so when it is under the age of 40, it's known as premature ovarian insufficiency. And it can occur in one in 10,000 women uh, under the age of 20. And there are, there are different types. So there is primary uh, POI where one never starts their period and has gone into menopause even before your period has started and it has a lot of differential diagnosis. Uh, and the secondary, when you've had periods for some time and it can stop at any time uh, after you've started and under the age of 40, between 40 and 45, it's known as early menopause. It may be surgical, it may be medical, but under the age of 40, uh, we call it premature ovarian insufficiency. And this has huge impact uh, because it may... It, you know, you are you feel different from the rest. You're taking hormone replacement therapy or the birth control pill, but you know the chances of fertility have been taken away from you. So these there are a lot of uh, aspects depending on what age one is diagnosed. But PCOS and POI, the link has not been seen. And in fact, one of the things that uh, some studies have suggested is that as one gets older, the number of immature uh, um, follicles or eggs are fewer in number so periods tend to become more regular in those with PCOS as one gets older hot flashes are a bit uh, less but uh, there is no definitive um, link between POI and PCOS uh, no study so far that I have seen uh, but of course these all may have autoimmune background so there may be links that may be discovered later um, and so um, you know as far as we know now uh, POI usually tends to be idiopathic, which means we don't often have a reason, but there can be sometimes, you know, medical reasons, surgical reasons, genetics, uh, you know, what's your family history uh, and other autoimmune conditions as well. So, uh, but uh, your listeners need not, you know, be particularly worried because we looked into this and my story in the book actually is where I mentioned POI and I have also said that we Right now, in my own experience, I haven't seen uh, PCOS and POI uh, as a link, 
uh, but it doesn't mean that they both sometimes can't go together. They may. Uh, and so I hope that that uh, question has been answered um, for your listener who asked that question. Absolutely. I have a fact sheet as well on POI on my uh, website, uh, which goes into much more detail. Absolutely. And, and I think um, a few things that we can take um, away from this conversation uh, on behalf of our listeners is that uh, PCOS is not something that shun you down. And absolutely being the driver's seat, take charge of your condition, have a conversation, build relationship with your doctors, nutritionists, dermatologists, whoever it is, because you need a team and it's not just one person um, who can just guide you and decode this condition for you. But you taking charge is really, really important because uh, unless you do that, you won't be able to find answers which are actually science-based, evidence-backed, and learning from practitioners who are most close to the research as uh, Dr. Neetu herself is and many others. And uh, Dr. Neetu, I uh, will come to my last question, but before I do that, um, to my listeners, I would uh, take a moment to say that this book, which has been written by Dr. Neetu and her daughter Rohini, is the, one of the best books that you can lay your hands on because it includes everything right from what PCOS means, what this condition is, what is the research, latest research, and what are the things, what are the six pillars of lifestyle that you can include to make yourself feel better, uh, reverse your symptoms, learn to manage this condition in years to come without following a diet plan or any restricted phase of eating. So I highly recommend that you guys read this. So um, moving on to my last question, Dr. Neetu, or a message for our health practitioners who are treating PCOS, what would you have to say to them uh, uh, as, as a note? I would say always when the person who's sitting in front of you, always think this could be your daughter, your sister, the, somebody that you love, it's really important that every patient should have the respect, the dignity, and the care that you would want to receive yourself or you and your loved ones. So I think if you keep that in the center, then at least this is how I have practiced for last 37, almost 40 years now. I find that even when you make a mistake, even when you have an issue, you are able to communicate that. So communication with your patient and really giving them the information, not just information that you think they need, but all the information that should be available to them so they can make an informed choice. That's my advice to any junior doctor, any trainee, any consultant, because I think once you do that, you your practice, you will feel so happy and you will want to continue working in a field that is just keeps giving. I just love every single thing that I do and I, I just hope I, can, I never retire. 
Thank you, Dr. Neetu. We have our last segment where we ask questions from our audience. And yeah. one of the questions has already been addressed uh, on the POI, but there is another question that we shortlisted, which was about having painful intercourse. Yeah. Now, do you think this is related to PCOS? Or, and I would invite you to talk about some other conditions that one may need to check, but what would be your uh, suggestion here? So... Painful intercourse can be divided into, it's first of all, very, very common. It should never be accepted. It should not be tolerated. It should never be dismissed. Okay. Uh, and that is important because sex should not be painful. Sex should be pleasurable. And, you know, it is this conditioning that sex is something that can hurt is not acceptable. So if intercourse is painful, the, it can be divided into superficial and deep. So superficial is uh, pain usually at entry, and that could be because of a number of reasons, including infections and uh, vulvodynia and vestibular gland infections, uh, while deeper uh, pain where you're left sore for many uh, days sometimes can be because of conditions like endometriosis or pelvic inflammation or pelvic inflammatory disease. Now, it's obviously not so easily categorized, uh, also menopause as when the skin gets dry, uh, atrophic vaginitis, also after childbirth, after having um, the skin, uh, you know, episiotomies and tears also can make things worse. So it is important to know, is this something that somebody has always had from the time they started having intercourse? Is this new? And what happens often is that once you start having painful intercourse, the, the pelvic floor starts to sort of seize up. So it's really important that, you know, you work with a good pelvic floor physiotherapist so that you actually they're able to work through and help you to give you some tools to be able to manage. But at the same time, exploring, could you be somebody who has endometriosis, pelvic uh, infections, pelvic inflammatory disease that has happened? Those things are often, again, very poorly diagnosed. So it could be that you do have an organic pathology and that has left, um, led you to get really anxious and so as a result develop vaginismus as well so it's a whole um, you know it's a very big topic and I do have a fact sheet that's completely free on my website but I would urge anybody who's having any kind of painful intercourse never to be dismissed and, and to make sure that you get to the bottom of it but again making sure that you find some good help whether it comes to diagnosing PCOS itself can, um, it doesn't, why it's, it's a complex area, but often there can be psychosexual uh, dysfunction. And so that can cause painful intercourse by per se, PCOS does not cause uh, necessarily pain on, uh, on um, penetration, but, you know, or with a sex toy or whatever. But if that is the case, I would just like painful periods. They're not necessarily associated per se with PCOS, heavy periods, yes, but painful periods, not so much. So, I would always say, make sure that you don't have a coexisting condition like endometriosis because they can all, or fibroids and things like that, because they can go hand in hand. So it, it's difficult to go into a great detail about a painful sex. That's a whole different topic <laughs> that, you know, but I hope Absolutely. that I've been able to, you know, show some, uh, throw some light on it. Very well. Yes. So that this has been very helpful. And I hope our listener got the answer that she was looking for. But thank you so much, Dr. Neetu, for sparing this hour to talk to us. It's always very, very 
you know, helpful to have you know, learn from you. And um, I've always enjoyed talking about thesis and I learn new things every time. So thank you so much for always supporting my work and coming here and talking about PCOS. You're welcome, Nidhi. It is always, it is a pleasure and keep up with the good work. And I hope that you can continue helping many people in this area. Thank you so much. And thank you everybody for joining us today. And until I see you next time, keep dropping in your suggestions and follow Pieces Club India on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and bye. All right, Dr. Nito, I'll stop recording. Is there anything that you miss saying? No, thank you. I've got another call coming. So I will say bye, yeah. Nidhi, but thank okay. you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Take You're care. welcome, bye. darling. Take care. Bye.